So good to have you here this morning. Welcome once again to Southwoods Christian Church. My name is Lori Montague. I'm Pastor Greg's wife. And Greg is here, but he's taking a little break this week. So if you want to see Greg, you can still see him and talk to him. But I'm going to be leading our uh, time of message this morning. And I'm just so thankful that you're here. And I hope that already you've been blessed by the worship and by the opportunity to be together and just be encouraged and hope that you have. This morning, we're going to spend some time in a chapter that you're probably pretty familiar with. It's Luke chapter 15, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. We're going to be here this week and also next week. And we're going to be looking at the lost parables of the Bible. And now you might be wondering, I didn't know there were any parables that were lost from the Bible. And actually, they're not. They're found, and they're found in Luke 15, and today we're going to be looking at two of the three parables this morning. You know, I've noticed over the years uh, that people are fascinated with things that have been lost and then have been found. Have you noticed that? We're fascinated by it, and there's lots and lots of stories about things that were lost and then found. For example, I recently read a story about a dog, a dog named Petunia. Now, does that look like a Petunia dog to you? It doesn't really look like it looks more like a something a little stronger than Petunia. But look at that dog. That's, that's Petunia. And Petunia is a terrier mix, and she went missing from her family farm in Virginia. And eventually, though, eight years later, she was found in California. That's how far Petunia traveled, all the way across the United States. And thanks to a microchip that was embedded in Petunia, they were able to realize that her home was in Virginia, but that she'd traveled, doggone it, all the way to California. How'd she do it eight years later? Or what about this story? This is another one I read recently about the case of the missing class ring. In 1938, that gentleman there on the left uh, had a class ring that he loved, but he accidentally uh, dropped it down the toilet, unfortunately. And he thought, I will never see that class ring again. It's gone. Until 72 years later, the other fellow there, whose name is Tony Kongi, a city worker who was working in the sewer, poor guy, but he found the ring 72 years later. And he looked at the initials, he looked at the school, and he got out an old yearbook, and he did some detective work, and he returned the ring to its rightful owner, and he made sure that it was cleaned and sanitized as well. <laughs> We love stories like that, don't we? These are true stories, but I've noticed that we even like lost and found stories that aren't so true. For example, for many of you who are in my age bracket, do you remember when the weather started getting rough and that tiny ship was tossed? <laughs> if not for the courage of that fearless crew, the minnow would be lost. Ah, see, I'm not alone. But it wasn't lost. It wasn't lost. And we found it every week on one of our three channels, kids. We found it every week, the whole crew on Gilligan's Island. We love stories about things that are lost and then found. And apparently things haven't changed. Jesus knew that then as well, that people were fascinated by stories about things that were lost and then were found. If we wanted to, we could take time today, and I'm sure you could tell us some stories that you have about lost things that were found or maybe never found. There are books and books of all kinds of stories. And that's why I believe Jesus took the opportunity in Luke 15 to tell some stories about three things that were lost 
and then they were found. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn there to Luke chapter 15. And I'm going to tell you two of those stories today. And next week, Greg will wrap it up with the third story. So let's follow along in our Bibles, Luke chapter 15. The first one is the parable of the lost sheep. And the Bible says in verse 1 that tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus to teach. And this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such people. Sometimes he would even eat with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, will he not joyfully carry it home on his shoulders? And when he arrives, won't he call together his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Then Jesus says, In the same way, there is more joy in heaven when one lost sinner repents and returns to God. There's more joy when one lost sinner repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Then Jesus goes on to tell a second story, parable of the lost coin. Or suppose he says there's a woman who has 10 silver coins and she loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she'll call in her friends and her neighbors and she'll say, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. So why does Jesus tell these lost and found stories in Luke chapter 15? Well, according to verse 1, we know the reason why. Verse 1 tells us that he tells these two stories because the Pharisees... And the teachers of the religious law are complaining. And might I add, again, they could not figure out Jesus. And they weren't sure if he was on their side or not. They took every opportunity to criticize him, to discredit him. And today, they're bothered by the type of friends and people who are listening in to Jesus. They're bothered by the fact that afterwards, Jesus might even take them to lunch. Look again at verse 1. It says, Tax collectors and notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach, and this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and even eating with them. Now, we're familiar with tax collectors, right? We've heard some Bible stories before about tax collectors who were corrupt. And the truth is that during this day, tax collectors were not necessarily honest people. They were often dishonest. They worked for the Roman government, which was also kind of corrupt and was in the business of oppressing the Jewish people. And so they often were not very kind. They regularly stole from the rich. They overtaxed the poor. And they were strongly disliked, to say it nicely, by most people. But Jesus seemed to see them differently. And they seemed to see Jesus differently, which is why I think often they showed up to hear him speak. Now, what about this other group, notorious sinners? Whenever I read that, I always think of some like Western gunfight, you know, here comes a notorious sinner. The text calls them notorious sinners because they're different than us. We're just regular, ordinary, run-of-the-mill sinners, right? But these guys are notorious sinners, which probably means they're sinners and everybody knows it. Everybody knows they're sinning. And everybody says, yeah. 
those guys are sinners. It's notorious. And so the stage is set, interestingly so, is it not? Tax collectors, notorious sinners, teachers of religious law, the Pharisees, and Jesus right in the center. The Bible doesn't tell us this, but I always think that Jesus must have looked at his audience that day and thought, hmm, seems like a good day to tell three stories about lost things. And so he begins to tell these stories. Let's dig a little deeper into the first story about the sheep, okay? Turn again in your Bibles to verse 3. Again, he says, so Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what's he going to do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? Let's pause here for just a moment. Um, we know that during this day, there were many shepherds who had many flocks. Most of the flocks were anywhere from about 20 sheep to 200 sheep. So when Jesus mentions 100 sheep, they all would have known what he was talking about. They would have nod and maybe said, hmm, a mid-sized flock, a shepherd with a mid-sized flock. And then Jesus rhetorically asks in his story, does he not? A question, won't the shepherd leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost? And the obvious answer to the listeners, whether you're a teacher of religious law or a notorious sinner, the obvious answer would have been, of course. You can almost imagine that they would have nodded for first time in agreement. They would agree that, yes, if you had 100 sheep and one of them was missing, you would leave 99 and go find the one. Of course. And why? Because the shepherd was responsible for every one of the sheep. Not 99% of the sheep. He was responsible for every one of those sheep. Not just the majority, not just the really good ones that don't wander off, but he was responsible for every single one of them. And every one of them, as long as they were in his responsibility sphere, mattered to him. If nothing else, they were a financial investment. And to lose even one would not only be a financial loss, pretty significant one, but it also would be thought of as a disgrace. If you're a shepherd and you don't take care of your sheep, you would be labeled as careless, a careless shepherd. And I don't think that looks very good on a resume for a shepherd. He cared for his sheep. And so the Bible tells us, according to Jesus' story here this day, that the shepherd left the 99 probably in a pen or maybe with some of his other shepherds who he asked to stay with his sheep while he went to find the other one, hoping to find the one that was lost and bring him back to the place he belongs. In the second story, Jesus talks about a woman who has lost a coin. Let's look again, verse 8. Or suppose, Jesus says, a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one. Won't she light the lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds that coin? And at first glance, we might read this and say, really? Ten coins? She lost one? And that's because in America we have spare change. That's why we call it <laughs> spare change. We have change in our cars. We have change in our couch. We have spare change. But most scholars believe that this was not spare change. 
Jesus here is talking about what we might refer to as the wedding headband. Isn't this interesting? When a Jewish girl got married, and this is so interesting to me, she began to wear what we would call a wedding headband of 10 silver coins to signify that she was now wife. Now, she maybe wouldn't wear it every day, but she would wear it on important occasions, significant times. The headband was the Jewish version, if you will, of the wedding ring that lots and lots of us wear once we've been married. It was a treasure. It was a prized possession. It was something of great meaning. It had a lot of significance. So now, isn't it a little easier to understand why when she realized, ugh, I've lost one of the coins, that she would light the lamps and begin to sweep the dirt floor, stopping everything else that was going on in the house, searching for that one coin. Because she wanted it to be found. She wanted it to be back where it belongs. In both of these stories, Jesus reminds us that when something is lost, it's not where it belongs. That's why it's lost. If it were where it belonged, it would be found. But it's lost because it can't be found, and it's not where it belongs. In this story, Jesus says, sheep belong in the flock. Coins belong on the wedding headband. And people, whether you're a religious teacher, a Pharisee, a tax collector, or a notorious sinner, belong in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, what can we learn from these two stories? What was Jesus hoping that we would remember about these two wonderful parables in Luke chapter 15? Well, many years ago, I read these parables in my Bible when I was probably just in my 20s. And I don't know if it was someone else's sermon or if God just kind of gave it to me, but I wrote these words in my Bible. I jotted them down, L-O-S-T. And every time I saw the words L-O-S-T, I also wrote something beside it. In fact, I put in your uh, bulletin this morning a little handout. If you want to, you can also write it. I didn't write them horizontally like we would normally write the words lost, but I wrote them vertically, like an acrostic, L-O-S-T. And I jotted by the letter L that I'd written there in my Bible these words, God loves the lost. This is so simple. I mean, we know this. We know this from the time that we're a very, very little person, that God loves you and that God loves the lost. I mean, think about one of the most famous Bible verses, John 3, 16. What's it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him and puts his trust in him will no longer be lost, but he will be found. He will have eternal life. God loves the lost. And not only does God want to come and send his son to save the lost so that they can be found, but one of my favorite passages of scripture, 1 John 3, 1, says that he has invited us to be a part of his family. It's not that he just wants you in the flock. He wants you in his family. Look at this passage of scripture, 1 John 3, 1. And not only does God want to find us, but he wants us to be his children. How great, he says, is the love that the Father has lavished on us, really big verb, that we should be called the children of God. Now, can you imagine the Pharisees and the teachers of the law thinking about this? They didn't even like the tax collectors or those sinners. And here Jesus is reminding them, that God loves them, that God wants all of them to be in a right relationship with them. 
And every time I come to the L part of the letter, or the word lost, it makes me wonder, what about me? What about me? Would I have been that day a lot more like the religious leaders who would have been wondering, hmm, what are they doing here? I hope he doesn't have lunch with them afterwards, because I really want to talk to Jesus. What about me? How do I feel about notorious sinners, tax collectors, people who are different, or people who I know that are far from God? By the letter O, I wrote the words, uh, these. I wrote these words. Uh, God is overjoyed when the lost one is found. So you can write that in there if you'd like to. Look again at the story of the shepherd in uh, verse chapter 5. And when he has found it, he, the shepherd, having found the sheep, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together all of his friends and all of his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. And the woman looking for the coin, what was her response? Look again at verse 9. And when she finds the coin, she will call her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me. I have found my wedding coin that belongs in my wedding headband. You see, friends, when something is lost and then it's suddenly found, what do we do? We call each other. We let them know we've found it. You don't have to keep searching any longer. We text, we email, we post it. We maybe even have a party. We're that happy because we lost something and now we found them. Jesus then goes on to give them some incredible insight. You know, a lot of times we wonder, what is going on in heaven? What's happening there? And we maybe conjure up ideas of what we think might be going on there. But this is one of the beautiful moments in scripture where Jesus, who knows what's going on in heaven, gives us some insight. Do you see it here? Look at verse 7. He says, in the same way. In the same way that a shepherd who would find a sheep who was lost or a woman who would find a coin. In the same way, there is more joy, Jesus says, over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 righteous who never needed anything because they hadn't even strayed away. Or he says about the coin, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one of the sinners repents. Now, technically, this is called, scholars would call this a parabolic bridge. Are you impressed? You can share that with your neighbors. A parabolic bridge. Why? Because these are two parables, and Jesus then builds a parabolic bridge, and in this case, it's a parabolic bridge to heaven. He uses the parables, the stories, to help us understand in the same way this is what's happening in heaven. Sometimes Jesus uses and builds a parabolic bridge that brings it a little bit more down to earth. And we're like, oh, now I get it. But in this case, technically, he's building a parabolic bridge that leads us to understand what in the world is happening in heaven. Isn't it beautiful insight? Technically, that's what's happening. But practically, Jesus is just trying to say to the notorious sinner and to the teacher of religious law, that when one person, one, is found, there's a party in heaven. There is an absolute party in heaven that the angels of God are rejoicing in the presence of God and that there is a party going on every time a sinner has been found.
And so by the letter L, I wrote, Jesus loves the lost. By the letter O, I wrote, Jesus is overjoyed. There's a party going on when one sinner is found. And by the letter S, I wrote, God is searching. He is still searching for those who are lost, for those who are not found. He hasn't given up the search and rescue mission. It's so clear from the story of the shepherd. There's no way that you can misunderstand it. Even a child can read this story or hear the story and know, hmm, the shepherd went searching. There's no way you can miss the story of the coin, misconstrue it or interpret it in any other way, but to know that the woman went searching for the coin. Jesus one time said, I want to make it perfectly clear why I came. Not only did he come to die for our sins, as we've already talked about and celebrated this morning, but in Luke chapter 19, Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. I mean, that was really his mission statement. If you ever had to scratch his head and think, why, why am I here again? Whew, these folks, they kind of tire me out sometimes. Why am I here? I came, Jesus said, to seek and to save those who are lost. And we understand it. Because when someone is lost, we look for them. When someone is lost, we stop everything and we look for them. I was remembering a few years ago, before we had amber alerts or uh, silver alerts or all the kinds of things that we do now, one day at the Oxford Middle School, which is where some of you remember our church used to meet years and years ago. And we were at the Oxford Middle School and what would happen is, that's just right up the road, what we would do every Sunday, we were a portable church, if you will, and every Sunday we would bring trailers in when we were much younger. And we had stuff in those trailers that was for church, music stands and pianos and guitars and drums. And I worked with the children's ministry. So we brought in beds and diapers and changing tables and wonderful things for young children. Every week we'd bring it in. And then we'd have church, one, two, more services. And we would enjoy the day, but then we'd watch the clock because we had to be out, right, of the middle school, because other things were going to be happening. And so then we'd get busy meeting new friends and talking, how are you? How can I pray for you? What can we talk about this week? What's going on? And at the same time, we would be packing up the diapers, packing up the guitars, packing up the things, getting them to the trailer. It was quite an, uh, an adventure, and we all had good backs back then. One day when we were doing that, uh, Joe, our youngest, our oldest son, uh, was just four years old. He's back there this morning. And, and he, like often, was helping me. And we were packing things up, and we were having a good time. We were talking, and we were enjoying the time. He was right there with me until all of a sudden he wasn't. Have you ever had that happen, moms? Have you ever had that happen, dads? When you're like, he was just right here. Where did he go? And so I tried not to panic, and I remember I went around asking, have you guys seen Joey? Have you seen Joe? He was right here. We were doing this. Hmm, no, I haven't seen him. I'm like, hey, uh, you know, I'm just keeping to walking and asking, has anybody seen Joey? Have you guys seen Joey? No, no, no. Pretty soon, others start joining the search party with me. 
can we help you, Lori? I'm like, yeah. And I'm walking faster. My heart's beating faster. And I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm outside. I'm inside. I'm all over this very large school, places that we're not even authorized to be, looking and looking and looking. It was a panic. Like, honestly, I don't think I'd ever known. Because my son, a very precious, precious part of us, was lost. And I couldn't find him. Finally, he, he was found, obviously. He's here today. And he was found back in the gymnasium where we had had our children's ministry that day. But we had gotten out of there because there was a middle school basketball game. And blessedly, I walked in, thankfully, and I saw him sitting with a very nice family. Praise God for nice people. And he was just watching the basketball game. <laughs> he didn't even like basketball, but he was enjoying the time there. I was so glad to find him. Why? Because he was far from me. He was far from Greg. He was not where he belonged. And we stopped everything to search for him. Friends, I want you to know that that's how God feels about you. He would stop everything, and he has stopped everything, to search for you. And he would continue to search for you lighting lamps, sweeping the floors, and heading out into the wilderness until you were back where you belong, in a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And for those of us who have been found, do you know what he asks us to do? Just like I did that day, would you help me? Would you join the search party? Would you help me find my son? And that's what God says to us. For those of you who are in a right relationship with Jesus Christ and you've found him and you know him and you're doing your best every day to, to live for him, he says, would you have eyes like Jesus? And instead of seeing notorious sinners, would you just see them as friends, people that you could take to lunch, people that you could help be found? He urges us to head out and to find the lost. And so by the letter L, I wrote the words, God loves the lost. By the letter O, I said, God is overjoyed. There's a party in heaven whenever one lost sinner is found. And by the letter S, I said, he's still searching. Until time is no more, he will continue to search until all have been found. Which brings us to the letter T, where I wrote the word, there is still time. There is still time to turn and to trust. I don't know if you know, but we have a dog, and his name is Sam. Have you ever heard about Sam the dog? Of course you have. He's now 12 years old. He walks pretty slow. But when he was a little puppy, I was determined not to ever lose this guy. And so Greg and I taught him that when we wanted him to come, I'll see if I can do it. My mouth's kind of dry. This is what we would do. <whistles> That's not too bad. That's what we would do. And, you know, even still to this day, I tested it on him yesterday. He's kind of slow. But he was laying in the living room, and I said, where's Sam? <whistles> and that old boy got up, <laughs> came walking in. What do you need, Mom? Of course, he's also hoping he's going to get a treat. <laughs> but he turns his head, and when he hears that whistle, he comes because he knows he can trust us. And he knows that, that we want him near. And so he whistles. He comes when we whistle. He doesn't whistle yet. 
And you know, sometimes I wonder about that little lamb. I don't know, maybe it's the children's ministry part of me and that parable. And, and I just, you know, lambs, sh- the shepherds tell us that sheep are actually kind of dumb. They're not real smart. And, and that, that that little lamb had wandered off. He was prone to wander. And you just kind of wonder if he didn't go, whoa, what have I done? Where am I? They were right here. Now where do they go? Where am I? I've, gone, I've been distracted. Uh, how do I get back to where I am and where I'm supposed to be? When all of a sudden, you know, maybe he heard that shepherd walking through the wilderness. Maybe the shepherd had a special whistle like we do with our family. Maybe it was just the shepherd's voice. And he turned from what he was distracted by and he went to the shepherd. Why? Because he trusted the shepherd. And he knew that the shepherd would take care of him. I often think about that because it's not in this passage of scripture, but in another one where Jesus says very, very, very succinctly that that we're like sheep. (laughs) That we're prone to wander. We're prone to, to be distracted and to kind of fall away or to walk away. And that he still is searching. One time he said in John chapter 10, my sheep, they listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish. So interesting to me here that he says, my sheep listen to me. They know my voice. Who was listening that day when Jesus told this story? Often it says that these notorious sinners and tax collectors came to listen. They came to listen. If Sam is listening and hears me whistle, he'll come. That day, this little lamb must have heard something that helped him come to his shepherd. And if we're listening, there is still time to turn and to trust Jesus Christ. There's still time. And so today, I'd like to close this morning uh, by just asking you a couple of questions. Are you aware of this passage of scripture in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7? The Bible says that God is restraining himself. You ever think about that? All-powerful God is restraining himself. Why? On account of you. He's holding back the end capital E. God is holding back the end because he doesn't want anyone lost. He's giving everyone space and time to change. And so as we wrap up this morning, let me ask you, has there been a time that you turned and trusted Jesus Christ? And that you put your faith in him, not in what you're doing or what you're not doing, but you put your faith and trust in what he's done at the cross. Has there been a time when you did that? And for those of you who are in a right relationship and you would say, I know what that day was, I can tell you the date, and I've been following Jesus as closely as I can every single day of my life, not without fail, because sometimes I fail, but I'm trying every day to follow Jesus My second question for you is, would you join the search party? 
Would you begin to look and see those people in your neighborhood, in your family, in your workplace, in your circles, in your sphere of influence, who maybe are far from God, who are not in a right relationship with God. And you don't have to be judgmental about it. You don't have to be weird about it. You just, as if they were lost, would want to help them be found. You'd want to help them get back to the place where they and we all belong. Jesus told these stories, and next week we'll wrap up with a third story about a lost son, a lost son that came home. And so this morning I want to invite you to stand with me. And as you stand, I want to just invite you to bow your heads and just to think, has there been a day and a time when I have been found? And if so, are there people in my life? And Lord, just now, would you bring them to my mind? Would you remind me of friends and relatives and work associates that I might be the one who could help them get into a right relationship? And ask God to bring those folks into your heart and into your mind. And as we bow our heads, I'd like to just uh, read for you the lyrics to an old song, an old hymn. You might even know it, a lot of you. You can hum along if you'd like. I was born in a, and raised in a preacher's home, and every Sunday we would have an invitation hymn and a time for people to, you know, come to Jesus. And I was usually on the piano, like Natalie, playing the piano. And one of my favorites is the words I want to share with you today from the hymn, Softly and Tenderly. So let's bow our heads, and let's continue to ask the Lord, are there people in my life for whom you would like me to go looking? And listen to these words, softly and tenderly. Jesus is calling. He's calling for you and for me. See, on the portals, he's waiting. He's watching. He's watching for you and for me. And he says, come home. Come home. You who are weary, just come on home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling, oh sinner, come home. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for these stories that Jesus told, his creativity, and the way that these stories touch our hearts even still today, 2,000 years later, we're still reading them, Lord. We're still telling them. And we're still reminded and grateful that we once were lost, but now we're found. And that there are many people in our worlds, each of our spheres of influence, who may be lost. And so, Lord, I just ask you that you'd put those people in our mind and our hearts and help us to encourage them and to help them find their way. And I thank you, Lord, so much for the opportunity that we have to come here to this church. And even this morning, there might be many of us who want to just come forward in a few minutes and, and just ask for prayer and ask for encouragement. And we're so grateful that we can come to this place and can just share our burdens with each other. And I'm thankful that there are people here that pray, not just on Sunday, but every day of the week, continue to lift up our family here. And I thank you, Father, for the opportunity we have today to witness two of our friends who will put their faith and trust 
in you in a very tangible way in Christian baptism. And just for the way in which that encourages us all and reminds us that we need you. And so, Father, if we're far from you today, would you remind us that you love us and that there's still time to turn, there's still time to trust. And would you lead us, lead us close to you, that we might follow you and that others who know us and love us as well might join us as we follow you. Thank you again for your word. Thank you again for this place. Thank you again for our friends who are gathered here today. And we celebrate you, Jesus, and all that you've done in our lives. We thank you for your spirit that guides us. And we ask that as we leave this place, you'll go with us, you'll direct us, you'll encourage us, you'll strengthen us, that all that we do might be good for others and it might bring glory to your name. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said with me, amen. Amen.